just a heads up, this episode talks about having kids and issues around whether to have kids or not have. If this is a topic that raises issues for you, please feel free to skip and wait for our episode next week. Before we begin today's podcast, I'd like to acknowledge that we're recording on stolen and unceded Gadigal land. Welcome back to That's Hot, the podcast helping you get even hotter than you already are by giving you all the information you need to help the world get cooler. I'm Lizzie. And I'm Tegan. So a few weeks ago, I put a question box on our Instagram and I asked our followers to ask us anything. It was a bit of a like get to know us. Um, And we got a really interesting response that like has spurred this podcast idea topic, um, which I'm really excited to talk about. So basically the response was asking us our viewpoint on the child free by choice for climate change movement. Um, And this person also mentioned that they've chosen they've, they've chosen like a child free life because of uh, the impacts of climate change. So I guess in me answering that Instagram story, it reminded me about this really interesting interesting topic that I learned about in my masters, and I want to talk to Lizzie about it today. So let's get into this topic. Woo! That's hot. That's hot. That's hot. That's hot. That's hot. That's hot. That's so hot. I guess starting it off, I want to ask you, Lizzie, um, your like viewpoint on having children in the climate crisis and the world that we live in. Big question. A big question. I mean, my general view about having children is just a question of I'm terrified of the bit where you actually have to have the child. But that's obviously separate <laughs> to this discussion. <laughs> I think course. it's a really interesting one. <laughs> I think it's one that gets to the core of a bunch of other issues that I know we're going to talk about today. Mm. My personal feeling is that if you want to have kids, you should have kids Mm. and that it is a huge, huge sacrifice to ask of someone um, to give that up for climate. Mm. Um, It's interesting. I think even on a like even a little thing like, you know, giving up meat is a tiny thing in your diet compared Mm. to giving up having kids. And interestingly, a lot of people I know who work in climate maybe are like mostly vegetarian or mostly vegan, but still eat meat sometimes because it's something they really value and they really enjoy. And I think Mm. that's very much how I think about climate activism is that you have to be able to do it in a way that's sustainable for you and you have to still prioritize your quality of life. Um, And I think, I guess there's a few reasons. Like one I think is that our biggest challenge in climate is not necessarily about technically executing the things that we know will work. Like that Mm -hmm. is obviously a part of it, but a bigger part is making those things politically possible. So making them things that people want to do and people are excited to do and asking people to not have kids or even suggesting that that's like a really important thing to do for climate, I think is really damaging to the climate movement because I think it's something that if you want kids, like you're going to be really pissed off if you feel guilty, if you're made to feel guilty for doing that. Yeah. I think like even any sort of behavioural change is difficult as it is to Mm. ask of people and that's a huge huge ask and like it's it's polarizing I guess and absolutely if you're like don't have kids to like save the climate like like that I don't know Jesus Christ like don't tell me how to live my life yeah (laughs) Yeah, like even I as someone that like understands the logic behind it like I Mm. feel attacked and obviously I mean I also just want to we should have probably prefaced this whole discussion this is obviously completely separate from the fact that you know Choosing not to have kids is a completely valid choice Mm. regardless. This is purely in the context of climate. Obviously, of course, Mm. a whole lot of people that can't have kids for whatever reason. So we just sort of want to flag that and probably we'll put a disclaimer at the start of this episode that we are talking about 
Mm. um, these things. But yeah. And I think the other thing is like, like kids are driving this movement. Like when you think about where so much energy and momentum comes from, like, you know what? Like there's like this classic example, like what if Greta Thunberg had like never been born? What if Anjali Sharma had never been born? Like what if all these like incredible kids that are like honestly moving the needle, Mm. their parents have been like, "Mm," like, they're going to create a lot of carbon emissions. Like maybe they will, but they'll also potentially create a huge amount of change. And you're seeing younger generations are more and more, you know, active on the issue of climate. And so I think in a way, like it feels like counterintuitive to not like grow that generation. And if you think about like, if everyone that cares about climate doesn't have kids, the kids that are going to exist are going to be kids that are grown up in an environment that is less Concerned. Not that that's like a statistical trend that matters so much, but yeah. yeah so no, anyway, 100%. what do you think? That was a lot of my thoughts. Um, it always is. And I love it. <laughs> my thoughts on having children <laughs> or in the context of climate. <laughs> I guess I fall in that group of people that like, uh, considering not having children, but not necessarily for climate reasons. Like I I just kind of have a lot of shit that I want to do in my life and I don't know like I don't know where children fit in that timeline and if they do yeah. fit in there cool if not also cool so I'm very much on the same page as you in terms of like if you want to have children and that like brings you joy like that is what life is about so do it but yeah. also I'm sure by the time I guess more and more people within like our age group are having children, the climate movement will have grown even more and the education that children get in school about the climate will have developed a lot. So Mm. I imagine like children will be even more so engaged in the climate crisis. Mm. So it's difficult and it brings up like it brings about this whole other topic idea of like overpopulation and if that's even an argument that should be made. Yeah. Well, that was the one thing. One more thing I was going to say is some of the argument around not having kids is the idea that you're going to bring them up in a world that's going to have these like horrible climate impacts and Mm. it's going to be a horrible place for them to live. And yes, it is potentially scary, a world with, you know, X number of degrees of warming, whatever on track for 2.7 at the moment. Yeah. But I also think it's worth remembering, you know, in the context of human history, we live in a very, very lucky time. Like it is, yeah, it's really horrible to think about the fact that our children might have a worse quality of life than us. But I think mm. it's very extreme then to say that they shouldn't exist because, you know, because compared to the entire entire realm of humanity, we live yeah. in a very, very comfortable existence. Mm. Um, and so I think that's just the other part of that, which does exactly, as you said, bring us as well to this conversation of, of overconsumption and yeah. overpopulation. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, so do you... They're difficult things to compare, but what do you think is like a greater issue or something that should be discussed more overpopulation or overconsumption? My gut feel is that overpopulation is a conversation that is rife with sort of racist and Mm. colonial ideology. Like even just saying it, overpopulation, you know, like what's your mind probably jumping to? It's probably Mm. jumping to areas of the world that aren't your own. You're probably not thinking, yeah, God, there's like 300 million Americans. We should like get rid of, you know, we should try to suppress that population growth. Exactly. Naturally, you know, countries that have, you sort of see that as countries become more wealthy, that, you know, they tend, people tend to have, choose to have less kids. And so talking about this conversation in the context of overpopulation is really, really, I think, embedded Mm. in kind of colonial and Western notions of like what is and isn't, acceptable. Whereas overconsumption would like forces us, you know, the consumers who do consume the vast majority and use, you know, a huge amount of 
our sort of carbon budget. It forces mm. us to confront it. So my kind of feeling is that I'm probably more interested in overconsumption. I think both, obviously, you know, we have finite resources on this planet and therefore yeah, exactly. both need to, to some extent, be considered. But I am hesitant to dive too much into a conversation about overpopulation. Yeah. Um, no, because of totally agree. Issues. Like you've hit the nail on the head there. And I think all I want to say about it is that overpopulation is an argument that's used a lot by the more conservative leaning side of the discussion around the climate crisis. Um, and yeah, it is, it does tend to be based in like racism and xenophobia and it, yeah, I don't, I, the, the topic of overconsumption is definitely something that I think should be more talked about and mm. yeah, I don't think it is talked about enough. So very excited to be having to, this chat about it today. Let's do it. <laughs> from, from your personal perspective, do you think that you consume too much? I'm really conscious of the fact that I live because of my sport. Mm. I have a lot of travel in my life. And yeah. so I, and it's, you know, travel is one of those things that is a huge part of like a personal carbon footprint as much as obviously <laughs> we've talked about this before, like a lot of personal carbon footprint stuff is a little bit BS, but regardless, mm. like I know that that is something where from a consumption perspective, I do use a lot of resources essentially in other areas yeah. of my life. I try really hard to, and I think like to be conscious of what I'm consuming, I think I'm probably on the like less consumption-y end of the spectrum, but, you know, mm. in a global sense and certainly with regard to the travel that I kind of have to do for what I do with my life, um, I do have a pretty big, pretty big consumption impact. How about mm. you? Yeah, it's interesting. I guess even us talking about it today, I I don't know how much I actively think about my consumption. Like there mm. are aspects of my life that I do, like I I definitely have reduced the amount of like clothing I buy and when I do buy it's like secondhand. So like how is that feeding into overconsumption? But I guess in terms of my like personal habits, I spoke about this on a on an episode recently. Like I've restarted driving my car to work. So I'm definitely using fuel there. So mm. I think in general, Australians are I mean, they, they consume a lot per capita. Um, there's data out there that shows that. And, yeah, I think that it, it would be quite staggering to, like, the everyday, everyday Australian to realise how much we all consume and how much of, like, that carbon that we're releasing in terms of our, like, everyday purchases. Mm -hmm. mm. I think this leads into... I guess, a discussion around affluence and how being an affluent country leads itself to like overconsumption. Interesting to get your thoughts on, on affluence from the outset or like how you, I, I guess you don't really hear affluence talked about much in terms of the climate crisis. Yeah. So we've sort of talked about this a little bit already. And I think one thing to talk about here is that I think when I hear the word affluence, you think of like designer bags and expensive mm. things and that is it. But it's also in the context that we're kind of talking about today, it's more to do with like affluent countries or mm. like affluence and just having stuff. Yeah. Um, I think that it is a really challenging one to grapple with because mm. there is obviously a really strong argument within climate that there's this kind of like green capitalist approach to success. And then mm -hmm. the conversation we're sort of starting to have here is around you know, is that actually possible is like, and essentially is growth in affluence in material goods possible and compatible with a model that brings us 
to, you know, a level of warming that's compatible with ongoing human life, essentially. Mm. Um, And I think that is hard because it asks us to grapple with questions of our own lives and Mm. our own place within that. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, our like everyday consumption habits and Mm. I guess the, again, coming back to the behavioral changes that would be needed for us to consume less and what even is like a sustainable level of consumption. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that there is a specific number or like now that I'm thinking of it, like the amount of carbon that we can all sort of emit uh, individually to be at like a sustainable level. Um, but well, I guess it has to be small. like net zero, right? Yeah. It's got to be somehow <laughs> yeah. offset. Yeah. It's very, very small. It's interesting at, at uni, I, I learned about this quite early on in my master's and the discussion around affluence and its continued growth. It's at about two to 3% per year. And we should just define here quickly Affluence obviously measured in this is well not obviously affluence is being measured in GDP per capita, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. correct. So that's growing. Obviously, there are years that uh like it hasn't really been consistent, um, especially with uh COVID shutting down the world um for a few years there. Uh but yeah, at an average of about two to three percent per year. Um overall, like global population is growing at about 0.5 to 1% per year. So those things are both growing and are both seeing emissions rising because like consumption with affluence, there's emissions uh, surrounding that. And then obviously people emit carbon as well in their everyday lives. So more population means more carbon. And there are all of these like technological gains that are reducing our our carbon levels, basically production is becoming more efficient. Um, but at the moment, um, affluence and population growth combined are outstripping these technological gains, which like you'd think that the technological gains that are are happening should be outweighing this, but at the moment, the data is not showing that. Well, yeah, I think we, we sort of did a bit of a deep dive. It's kind of at a flat point at the moment, it seems Mm. like, but you know, all this talk about like the future and being able to like fully decouple from our carbon emissions mm. from the things we want to do yeah. um, is really complicated. And it kind of brings us into this conversation of essentially growth versus degrowth yeah. um, and how that relates. Mm. So a couple, a couple of things, I guess I want to touch on there. The first thing that we're talking about, like, is we're talking about a global measure of affluence. And in this context, we're talking about GDP per capita. So Mm -hmm. what you and I might think of as like, so-and-so is getting more affluent. We're thinking about they've bought a new fancy car. They're going on their private jet. This measure is also capturing things like a farmer in rural, you know, somewhere in the world has bought a new tractor or like this person now has electricity in their housing. So I think we need to be really careful in the way that we frame this because naturally what we've kind of said there is like, we have addressed that our consumption habits do need to shift. And we will talk about that in a second in the context of like developed Western nations. Mm. But this measure is looking globally. And it basically, if you're asking affluence to decrease, you're asking developing nations to not develop. You're saying Mm. you actually can't enjoy the gains that we enjoyed through, you know, high emission intensity industries and things like that Mm. um, because we can't afford it in our carbon budget because whoops, sorry, like we over here in the West used it all up. Mm. And so I think when we like talk about these big global statistics, it's really important that we understand what the statistics are actually saying. And Mm. when you look at the countries in the world, like 
I think Australia's GDP growth off the top of my head, it's like around 2% over the last like 15 years on average. Yeah. Like it's at around about that like bottom end of the 2 to 3% per year. The mm-hmm. US, most are similar. The thing that drives affluence as GDP growth yeah. per capita up is the countries that are growing at like 15, 7, 8%. And those exactly. countries for the most part are developing nations. And I think asking them to lower their consumption is completely unrealistic because it's not really comparable. Mm. Um, but equally- there's a conversation that needs to happen in our lives about like a personal definition of affluence, yeah. I guess as well. Sorry, was there something else you were going to say on that? Yeah, I was going to say, does that not mean that Western countries that have gone, that are developed and have benefited off the systems that have been in place over the past few decades, do they not need to reduce their consumption more? Yeah, to kind of bring the global average down. Yeah, exactly. I guess this is... So I think like growth versus degrowth often gets framed in like very big contexts of like the whole goal should be to decrease GDP or the whole goal should be to like whatever it is, yeah. you know. And I think there's probably like a more hybrid model in my mind that yeah. makes a bit more sense, which is that like if you look broadly at GDP per capita and like outcomes of a country, they're pretty closely tied, whether you're talking health outcomes, education outcomes, general quality of life, happiness, a whole lot of these things are pretty well measured through GDP. Yeah. And I think therefore it is completely understandable. I mean, the most obvious example recently is, you know, China in the last 30 to 40 years going from a country with significant amounts of poverty to having a really strong middle class and a much better quality of life for its people. Um, And, you know, whatever you think of the political (laughs) means to get it there, the reality is that GDP growth and growth in the economy has been important to an improved quality of life. Mm. On the other side of that, when you get to a country, like look at a country like Australia, Mm. GDP is higher if, and like, you know, a classic example is GDP will be higher if I buy a fridge now and then I buy a new fridge in six months and I buy another fridge in a year mm. and a half. Mm. It's not a great experience for me as a customer. Firstly, if I have to keep replacing my fridge, and it's really <laughs> no. not sustainable, but GDP no. will be higher. Yeah. Same thing like GDP doesn't capture the fact that maybe I'm actually not working as much, but I have more leisure time and I'm happier. GDP doesn't capture some of those things that when you get to this point where your basic needs are met, mm-hmm. what actually fulfills quality of life is maybe no longer as tied to GDP. And so I think you're exactly right. Like it is really incumbent on us as developed countries, maybe not to necessarily aim for degrowth because I think that's a very politically fraught thing to think about. I think yeah. it's maybe to start aiming for other things. And a big part of that is obviously, firstly, how do you get that production efficiency up. And we are seeing that it has, you know, it is trending somewhat up in the last few years, not as much as it needs to. And yeah, how do you start to think about a reimagination of our goals as a society rather than just this infinite economic growth? How do Mm. we aim for happiness? How do we aim for leisure time? How do we aim for just general satisfaction? You look at things like New Zealand, um, recently shifted to increase focus in their sort of like well-being budget on those mm-hmm. kind of measures around nat- uh, national, you know, happiness and things. I think yeah. it's, it's a so few countries that use that. Just to get this mm. right in my head, that is, I guess, measuring the success in quotation yeah. marks of a country based on something other than just its GDP. Exactly. Yeah. So it's starting because GDP, while like I like 
very contentious, mm. <laughs> I guess, economic circles. GDP is really useful. I think it's pretty <laughs> hard to argue against that when you're looking broadly across economies in the world. Yeah. Like country, countries that have higher GDP per capita per person, mm. generally just a better quality of life for those yeah. people. But yeah. yeah, exactly as you said, when you get to a country like Australia, like my life isn't better off if I have those three fridges. My mm-hmm. life isn't necessarily better off as much as I might think it is if I online shop every single night, but our GDP yeah. will be higher. And so it's then thinking about, and there's, you know, a range of economic indicators that are becoming more popular and more used. Um, mm. And I think, I mean, I'm someone that thinks the goal of degrowth and degrowth is basically the process of your goal is to shrink the economy. Yeah. I think it comes with some risks because I think you risk shrinking the parts of the economy that like, I think when we see economic downturns, and I mean, right now is a classic example, Mm. interest rates going up and inflation going up most significantly impact the people who are already vulnerable. Like there was some estimate the other day of the number of people that we put into additional, like into severe financial stress when the like the next level of like interest mm. rate hikes or yeah. whatever it is because their mortgages will go up by a certain yeah, amount. Yeah, I saw that. And you're just sacrificing people for the greater good. And I suspect if you aimed for degrowth, you would probably not see rich yeah. people suffer very much. That and makes that's sense. A concern. And mm. equally I just think that we are so focused on growth as a country politically, I don't think it's possible. Yeah. And therefore I think that the discussion about degrowth or growth in a theoretical sense isn't necessarily tied to the reality of a world mm. that's been designed around growth for the better part of the last, you know, two how many centuries. Yeah. And so that makes sense. thinking about different indicators is probably the best solution. Yeah. What do you think? And I think I I I mean, you're the economics queen, so <laughs> everything that you said I will just take as gospel. But I it just made me think that those other sort of indexes for the success of a country are so interesting in the context of the climate crisis because the i'm thinking of like the the mental health benefits of like having an a thriving environment that people can go out into and spend time like away from their screens and like get back into nature. Mm. Like that is so important to like yeah. the well-being of a country and the well-being mm. of the people that like in turn then go to work to make money to continue putting money into the economy, which drives up GDP. Like and that is only going to be there if we do everything that we can to like limit the impacts of climate change. So like mm. it all kind of is in this huge washing machine essentially and like everything is so dependent on each other and like mixing together in different ways and I think it's just like it's crazy this is like I guess like such top level thinking and like problem solving (laughs) that like obviously you and I are not going to like fix these issues but I think it's such a not with that attitude (laughs) (laughs) not yet maybe in like 10 years you'll see us like in parliament um doing some cool things and creating some cool cool policies but um I think it's it's just such an interesting topic to talk about and like all of this literally came from this question from Instagram yeah well I was gonna say I guess like linking it back right so it's like overpopulation yeah like is obviously a thing that increases sort of, you know, carbon emissions, but it's not yeah. something that we can like explicitly target. Yeah. Overconsumption, when you look at it on a global scale, is kind of something that you can't really explicitly target because you would essentially be asking like poorer countries to just like sacrifice their potential growth. Yeah. And then the things we do have control over, you know, and the things that probably do need to shift is like in those wealthier nations, 
both at a, I think this is also sort of, I guess, to finish off the episode, Mm. wealthy countries, I think we need to just rethink what our goals are to some extent and to try to move that away from being inherently tied to this grow at all costs mentality. And equally, I think in our personal lives, which I guess is what links this back to this idea of, you know, having kids or not having kids Mm. is I think from a personal perspective, there are things that you might aspire to as affluent things that you would want to do when you make more money, when you are more successful in your retirement, whatever it is. Yeah. There are things that are going to be inherently high emissions. Naturally, as people become more personally affluent, they tend to do things that are more emissions intensive. For example, people tend to eat more red meat when they have more money, they go on more flights, they do all those things. Yeah. Um, and I do think it's a real challenge of our imaginations to think about on a personal level what are my goal? Like if my goal is to, and I think most people to some extent want to become more wealthy, want to have a better quality of life. Mm. I would like to live in an apartment with less mold, um, is mine. <laughs> Don't that's we not, all? <laughs> it's not really, I can, I can achieve that without having more carbon emissions, which is great. But yeah, I do exactly. think, you know, there's like, what do you have things, I guess, taken that are in your kind of like vision for your future that mm. are really tied to carbon emissions? Uh, I think that a lot of the things that I envisage for my future and when I'm thinking about my future, I'm thinking about like owning a home. Ha ha. Imagine that. (laughs) That's so Um, cute. (laughs) But like the way that I picture those things are like in the most or in the least carbon emitting ways possible, like a really sustainable home and like driving, driving a, um, a car that isn't run off petrol, like okay, those so sorts of things. Really not making my point for you. My thing is every no. time I get on a flight yes, and I'm like, me. wow, I want to fly business. How nice yeah. would it be to fly business? Mm. Fuck being in these like squishy little seats at the back. I want yeah. one of those nice business seats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The carbon footprint of a business flight is like obscenely higher than an yes. economy flight because the amount of t- space you take up on a flight. Yes. And it's like maybe something where I need to be like, you know what? Maybe instead of flying business, I just yeah. treat myself to a very expensive massage at the place I arrive at or I Love go for that. another day. You know, it's like it's rethinking like exactly. what are those goals? Yeah. Um, so that that is essentially our action item for this week. Am I right? So just to remind is. everyone, um, we leave every episode with an action item, which is something hot that you all can do to get hotter and help the world get cooler. <laughs> Um, so yeah, this week it's thinking about your goals. Do you want to can expand on that a little bit more? Give, give the people a task. Yeah. <laughs> I, I sort of wrote this actually out as a task. I'm really excited to do it and I'll post it on the Instagram. Um, yes, please. I want everyone to write down three things that you would want to do if you kind of had like an infinite amount of money or a lot of money. So again, for me, it's probably like business, business class. class somewhere or like go on this like fancy holiday or whatever. Yeah. And then think about whether these things are inherently linked to carbon emissions, whether they're things like flying that we know we're going to find really hard to decarbonize. Like, you know what, if you want to buy a Tesla and like charge it off your rooftop solar, great. That's fabulous. Yeah. If you're like, no, I want to have this like big diesel truck. That's my dream. Yeah. Maybe less fabulous for the climate. Anyways, but think about the things you want to do. Think about whether they're linked to carbon emissions and then think about how you could rewrite those goals to be less emissions intensive. So an example Mm. is like, for example, maybe you think every year I want to go on a big European holiday. That's one of the things I would really see for myself if I had a lot of money. Yeah. And maybe it's about saying, actually, you know what? That's it's a lot of it's a lot of flying. It's a lot of long haul flights. It's, you know, maybe instead of flying every year, my goal can actually be that every four years I do a year overseas or something like that. Mm. It's about reframing some of those things to think about how we personally make our goals for affluence less tied 
more decoupled, mm. <laughs> I guess, from carbon emissions. Um, again, both because these individual actions do have some impact on their own, but they're mm. also really good conversation starters and they do then lead you we to, love I a guess, conversation starter. yeah, lead us to this <laughs> conversation about like whether we do need to think about our consumption habits mm. um, or whether it's possible to just keep buying more things and doing more things yeah, um, I- without the planet dying. I'm very excited to see your list and I promise I will think of things that are a little bit more carbon Tegan intensive. Tegan is perfect already. <laughs> no, Whatever. I'm not. I'm sure I'll have them. She'll be living um, in her little like green sort of, you know, tiny house, home. her house on the side of the mountain, and the, you know, all equal, whatever, whatever, we get it, whatever. I promise Sustainability I'll major. <laughs> Who has the commerce degree? Can y'all tell? <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, cool. I love this episode. Thank you for talking with me about this. Thank um, you. For letting me ramble on about my favorite thing, which is broad economic theories. That yes. I I've learned a lot. With. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, talk we'll to see you, you soon. all next week, everyone. Bye. Bye.